Hello, everyone. Paul Skidmore here. Between the series on Genesis and the series on the rest of the Torah, I did a quick live stream called How to Read the Bible. Here it is. Check the show notes for links to the resources discussed. You can find those notes in your podcast app or at skidmore.substack.com. And as always, if you love this, please share it with someone you know. We're going to tackle what seems like it would be an obvious thing, which is just how to read the Bible. I think the only reason it's made difficult is because it is the Bible. It's been around for a long time. It has been scrutinized and studied by a lot of groups, a lot of people, some believing, some unbelieving, some skeptical. And um, it has been used in a lot of application and and it is a very big book. It's actually a collection of 66 smaller books. And even a lot of those books are pretty big, at least in terms of what you could sort of uh, sit down and talk about in a short period of time. We just finished a 15 lesson series on Genesis. Each lesson was about 40 minutes or so. And um, so I don't know what that adds up to, but it's like something like 13 hours, something like that. And um, that's just one book of the 66. So it takes a long time to sort of go through. And um, oftentimes you really only use a very small part of it at a time. And so I think we don't see it as a book. I think growing up in, uh, in church, those of us, I know most of you listening have grown up in church or, or have been in church for a while. When we grow up in church, we think of the Bible in a way that we don't think of other books. And I don't mean that just from the sense that we believe that the Bible is the word of God and that it's true and these kinds of things. But I mean, just, just in a literary sense, we don't, we don't think of it as a book like we think of other books when in many ways it is, and we should think about it more that way. Sometimes um, I'll explain here with some examples. Maybe it'll make a little more sense. So I think a lot of people approach the Bible as if it were an instruction booklet. Okay, so I have with me here, this is the instruction booklet for the microphone that I've been using for all of these. And you'll notice here on page 45, I don't know if you can see that or not. So I can flip over and see if you can see. Um, this is in Chinese, right? And uh, so this would be very confusing and difficult for me as I don't read Chinese. And so I would have a very hard time deciphering what this was all about. In fact, I might feel like I would have to go walk away from here and go learn Chinese in order to be able to follow the instructions. When really, if I began at the beginning, I could see that the English instructions start on page one and I could just start right here at the very beginning. And then things are just really plain and clear um, and make a lot more sense. So I think we treat the Bible like it is, you know, and we use these terms and they're not, they're not wrong. They're just incomplete. So we say that the Bible is, you know, a roadmap for your life. Uh, again, not wrong, but it's, it's incomplete. Uh, we say, you know, that uh, we, we might say about the Bible that it, it, it has a, a lot of commands and instructions in it. And indeed it does, but it's just so incomplete a description 
of the Bible. But if that's our, our, our thought that it's a, it's a, it's a map or it's an instruction book or it's an encyclopedia or something like that, then we're going to treat it as a reference work and we're going to look at little small things out of order. And it's just not really going to make sense. Whereas uh, if we approached it like a, like a book and like a story, so much of the Bible is written as story. And the parts that are not written as story, almost all of those are written as speech, as uh, uh, sermons, dialogues. We, we call them prophecies mostly in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's Paul's letters, but they essentially serve the purpose of a sermon. They, they have sort of a central argument that they're trying to make to a given audience. And so um, maybe we should look at it less like the instruction booklet and look at it more like uh, sort of a, a regular book. So I've got a couple of other written things here. This is this weekend's Wall Street Journal, and it's got four different sections uh, to it. And it actually comes with a magazine, which I took out of it. But um, it's the Wall Street Journal. So if I was going to take a look at the Wall Street Journal, if I wanted to know what was going on in the world, what if... I just sort of opened to a random page and read three sentences. And then I went over to another random page and I read two sentences over there. And then I flipped over back to the crossword puzzle section and I read a couple of the clues. And um, then I flip over to the book reviews and I read a paragraph out of there. And then I set it down feeling like I, I started to have a good handle on what was going on in the world. Well, you see the problem with that immediately when I say that it's a crossword puzzle, right? Uh, when I say that it's a newspaper, but um, I, I, I feel like a lot of us, even those of us, or maybe especially those of us that have grown up in the church and, and, and can, uh, attend church regularly, I feel like we treat the Bible like that in a lot of ways. It's like, oh, what is this story here? Or we, or we feel like we can teach the Bible to someone else that way. Let me give you a little bit of this. Let me give you a little bit of that. Let me read this part from here. Let me read this part from over here. And even if it makes some sense to us, because we know the context and we know what we're reading, the person that we're you know, reading it to, it would just be left confused. They, they don't understand who Abraham is or what he has to do with the apostle Paul. And, and wait a minute, what about this Jesus guy? Where did he come from? And, you know, I sat down to read the Bible with a friend of mine that uh, had never read the Bible before. And I said, well, we're going to read from the gospel of John. It's in the new Testament. He said, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, Old Testament, new Testament. Like what's the difference there? <laughs> and I, I was blown away. I mean, it was like it's such a simple, obvious question. And honestly, as somebody who, you know, is a is a, a believer in the book and has grown up in church and knows the difference between, you know, the things in the Old Testament, and the things in the New Testament. I was at a complete loss for how to answer that question. You know, do I get into this idea of covenants? Do I talk about Abraham and do I talk about Jesus? And, you know, it's like, I don't, where, where do I begin answering that question? And so uh, <laughs> this may be a terrible answer, but what I said was, um, you know, one's older than the other one. And let's just leave it at that for now. <laughs> it was kind of, you know, it's like, that's not really what I want to discuss tonight. And I don't know how to talk about it. So let's just, let's just let's skip it for now. Um, so when we sort of go through and pick these things and look, we, we have lots of good tools. So I grew up, you know, hearing the, the plan of salvation here, uh, repent, uh, here, believe, repent, confess and be baptized. And we had little verses for each one of those. Well, every single one of those verses comes from like a different book. And it's just a single verse drawn out of a single chapter of a, of a, of a much larger work. And they're sort of from all over the place. And again, it's a good tool for me to remember some specific things that I need to remember as a Christian person. But when you're trying to share the Bible with somebody else, or if you really want to understand the story of, of, of God's word, uh, it's not, it's not very helpful. 
right? It's, it's helpful for the thing that it was that it was put together for, but it's not helpful in a in a general sense. Certainly not helpful to somebody that doesn't know the Bible. So. Again, with a newspaper, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to start on the front page and you're going to sort of read the big stories and then you might gloss over some of the smaller stories sort of in the, in the, in the middle, but uh, you're going to look for things of interest and you're going to understand the difference between when you're reading a headline story on the front page and when you're reading clues in a crossword puzzle or when you're reading a book review from the review section, right? You're going to understand the different purposes of the different things that you're reading and you're going to read them looking for different kinds of information. I mean, it's just natural to do in a newspaper, which is a collection of stories. Right? I have uh, here also, there's another example. This is uh, a novel written by yours truly called God Rest You Married Gentlemen. I put it out in December. If you haven't bought it, pick it up. But uh, it's a novel. It's a story. And uh, the way that I wrote this one in particular, it's um, uh, it, it all, most of it happens in real time. It's about the events that occur over a couple of hours uh, on Christmas Eve in 1955. And so some of the setup of the story kind of moves through time pretty quickly. And we kind of move through time pretty quickly uh, towards the end. But in the middle, when all the action is happening, it's it's really real time. In fact, I would time myself reading it because there's all these planes going different places. And I had to make sure all the timing and everything was working out right. So imagine somebody who doesn't know anything about this book picks this book up and just opens up to page, you know, 139 on this chapter here and just reads a few sentences and comes back over here and reads a few sentences and goes back over here and reads a few sentences and comes back over here and reads a few things and then puts the book down and they walk away. Do you think they would have any idea what the story was about? I mean, they might have a general sense of sort of the premise of what's going on. Okay, I see it's the Cold War. There's some planes and oh yeah, it looks like, I don't know, something's going on with some phones or something. They might they might walk away with some with some idea or some details or whatever, but they would in no way understand what's the whole story here. What is what is the story? And I, I see this happen in our Bible study all the time. Here's a great example. The book of Ephesians, which is a book that I study with the young men that I disciple, I've also taught it as a class. I may end up uh, doing it as a live class, depending on how long we all stay uh, safe at home in front of our computer screens. But the book of Ephesians is a letter. So we call it the epistle, right? It means letter. So it's a letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, this wasn't the Ephesus Street Church of Christ or whatever. You know, this wasn't the uh, downtown Ephesus Baptist Church. There was no big building where all the Ephesian Christians came uh, to, to meet. They were worshiping at homes, much like we have been the last few weekends. And so when Paul writes a letter to the Christians in Ephesus, it's meant to be passed around to everyone who believes in Jesus in town. And there were some gatherings here and there and that sort of thing. And they're just sort of meant to be passed around, make sure all the Christians in Ephesus read this or have it uh, heard, hear it uh, read out loud. And so it's a letter. Uh, in a letter, what would you do? Would you read a paragraph and then think about it for a week and then come back the next week and read the next paragraph? No, you'd sit down, you'd read the whole letter at one time, right? A sermon, all right? What if your preacher gave you two minutes of sermon this week and then two minutes next week? And I mean, you wouldn't even remember what he talked about the week before. It'd be pointless, right? What do you do? You read it all at once, right? So if it's a letter or a sermon, you read the whole thing at once. So the Ephesian letter originally would have been read all at once to the first hearers. The, to the Ephesian church, whether it was a small house meeting or a little larger gathering, they would have heard the whole thing in one sitting. And it's only six chapters. It's pretty short. It doesn't take that long. So here's what stands out when you actually read the whole Ephesian letter at once. When you get into chapters five and six, there's a lot of do's and don'ts, right? Uh, live this way, not that way, that kind of thing, right? Uh, 
And it's very easy to pull those do's and don'ts out and sort of shake them at somebody or wave them like a magic wand or throw them at somebody or point at somebody with them and say, hey, you need to do this or you need to not do that. Right. And when we think we have authority to do that, because Paul tells the church at Ephesus, don't do this and do these other things. Right. But what we miss is that Paul first spent four chapters reminding them who they are and reminding them who they belong to and reminding them who they become in Christ. And doesn't that change? Doesn't that change the context of, of being able to tell somebody, hey, here's some things you should do and here's some things you should not do. Imagine it, instead of saying, hey, quit doing that. If you sat down and, and spent four times as much time saying, I just want to remind you how much God loves you, how much I love you, how much a part of this family you are. Can you imagine what a different conversation that would be, right? So when you take Ephesians in the proper context, you walk away with a much different sense of the communication that is happening than when you just sort of cherry pick a verse out and throw it at somebody, right? So that's what we want to avoid. So when I say we're going to learn how to read the Bible, it seems like it should be a very simple thing. But as you can see from some of these examples, maybe it's, maybe we make it more difficult than it needs to be. So I'm going to give you three big things that you can do to improve the way you read the Bible. And they're going to be so super simple. And yet they're, <clears throat> despite how simple they are, we have a lot of trouble with them for some reason. Okay. So the first thing that you can do to improve how you read and how you study the Bible. And again, this goes not just for people who are believers, but people who are skeptics. If you want to know what the Bible says, okay. Don't walk around thinking you know what it says without having read it. You should read it and you should read it properly. Okay. Uh, and so, um, you know, I had a friend, the same friend that didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He was very skeptical. I think I mentioned him in an earlier lesson. He, he was skeptical of reading the Bible with me. And he said, well, you know, I just know some of the things that the Bible says, and I don't, I don't believe that. And I said, well, like what? He said, well, like the, the earth was created in seven days. You know, I don't, I don't believe that. And, um, I said, well, you know, actually the earth was created in six days, according to Genesis one. Right. And that even kind of depends on what you mean by the earth was created, because really, I guess you could say the earth itself wasn't kind of created in one day. Right. So uh, that shows maybe we should actually read what it says and think about the context of it and look at it in the context of the book of Genesis and and, and maybe you'd have a little different idea about the story that you think you know about. So even if you're a skeptic, even if you don't like the Bible, at least listen to these ideas and uh, see if they will help you learn to study the Bible. Okay, three simple things. The first one, here's the first simple thing that you can do. Read it. All right. I know this sounds extremely oversimplified, okay? But seriously, that's really the first thing that you can do is just read it. Right. So I think I think a lot of times we look at the Bible. It's very big. There's all this theology in there. It's all these names that are hard to pronounce. It's from this culture we don't understand. It's very intimidating. And so we're scared to just read it. Just pick it up and read it like a book. Don't read a sentence and then go write seven pages in your journal about it. That's not what I said. I said, read it. OK, you can journal about it. That's fine. But what I would rather you see, what I'd rather see is for you to read seven chapters and write one sentence rather than read one sentence and write seven chapters about it. Right. I, I just want you to spend time in the word. Just read the Bible. OK, journaling's great. I do journaling. Uh, you should do it. It's good. But uh, I've seen a lot of people who will spend a lot of time writing out their essay of thoughts on you know the verse of the day, which is like one verse or two verses and not even know 
what happened right before that? What happens after that? What context is this in? Who who wrote this? Who is he writing it to? Right? There's no discussion of that. So this is really the first thing. It's just read it. So here's some ways that you can do that. The first is to just read an actual Bible. Uh, thankfully, in the United States of America, Bibles are plentiful. Many times you can find places that are just giving them away, that will just give you a Bible if you ask for it. This is not the case all over the world. In fact, I told you the other night about Eastern European Mission and uh, how their their goal was to take Bibles into communist Eastern Europe, beginning in the 60s, when it was highly illegal to do so. They used to have what they called the Marlboro Bible, because it was about the size of a pack of cigarettes. And they made it that small so that they could stuff them down in their boots and hide them in different places so that they could smuggle them in, because they really were smuggling illegal contraband into a country, and there, when there could be dire consequences uh, for it. Uh, one story that I didn't tell about Eastern European Eastern European mission the other night, I'll, I'll tell very, very quickly. I'll have to gloss over a lot of the, the finer details of it. But there was a person, person involved with, with EEM and he was traveling. He was leaving the country and he had with him his personal Bible. It had all of his notes and underlinings, all those kinds of things. Many of you have a personal Bible. You'd be terrified to lose it, you know. And um a Soviet guard came through, saw what he was reading, and and saw that he was an educated man, and say, "How can an educated person read this? Read this garbage? Read this fairy tale?" And he was so angry about it, he took the Bible, he lowered the window in the moving train, and threw it out the window. And uh, the man was distraught because it had been his Bible for decades. Two years pass, and he receives a package at home. He opens the package, and it's his Bible. And with his Bible is a letter. And the letter says, some children from our village found this Bible near the train tracks while they were playing. As soon as we saw it, we saw your name and address in the cover, but we apologize for not returning it right away. Our village does not have a Bible. So we took turns hand copying the pages of this Bible so that our village would have a Bible. I, I, can you believe that? Isn't that a remarkable story? That just goes to show the great need for Bibles all over the world. That's one of the best things that a mission organization can do is to send Bibles. There are hungry people and we should feed them. There are thirsty people and we should dig wells. There are people who are suffering from great injustice and we should seek out that justice. But if we feed or water or free a person and we don't give them Jesus, we're just prolonging the inevitable. We must give them Christ. When Jesus saw all the masses, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he did what? Fed the 5,000? He did, but, but not yet. When he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd, he taught them. And he taught them until evening to the point that everybody was hungry and they needed food. And so then he fed the 5,000. Right? So it's the teaching. It's the word. As we looked at in the series of Genesis, the word of God goes forth um, in front of everything. And um, Isaiah 55, 11, I'll paraphrase. I don't have it memorized, but uh, the Lord says, my word goes out from me and it will not come back to me empty. So uh, thankfully we live in America. We have lots of just real Bibles, just paper Bibles that we can read. You probably have several in your home. Just pick it up, read it like a book. Uh, I know we're reading lots of things while we're all at home. Some of us are reading the newspaper. Some of us are reading novels. Uh, some of us are uh, reading news articles and those kinds of things. Continue to do that. It's a great time for it. But um, find some time also to just set aside 
to, to read a little bit of Bible. You don't have to use a paper Bible. I don't like carrying a big leather Bible around with me everywhere. So there's plenty of online Bibles that are free. BibleGateway.com was one that I used for a long time. It's still out there. Uh, one that I use now is Bible.com. This is run by the same people that make the Uversion Bible app, which is what many of us have on our phones or our iPad. The great thing about Bible Gateway, Bible.com, the Uversion app, is that besides being free, they have many different translations. And translations, uh, having access to many different translations are important because some translations really try to stick to the original text, and that's good, but it can be hard to read. And then some translations uh, try to go for more thought for thought so that it is easier to read. And that's good, but it may be a little different from the original text. And so I, I think if you're studying a passage, it's always good to read it in at least two versions, maybe one that's a little more literal and one that's a little more thought for thought. I like to use um, maybe New Living Translation as, as a first reading because it's so easy to read. And lots of times I'll have people in my group that aren't used to reading the Bible. And so we'll read New Living Translation. And that way, uh, okay, we kind of understand what's happening here. Then we'll come back and we'll read like ESV, English Standard Version, or we'll read CSB, Christian Standard Bible. I'm really liking that one these days uh, because they're a little more, they're a little closer to the original text. That way we kind of get both ends of the spectrum in there. And then we sort of have a sense of maybe what the original text was trying to tell us. Any translation is going to stray from the original because there is no such thing as a one-to-one -one translation. It's just not possible between languages of any kind. So that's the great thing about BibleGateway.com, Bible.com, Uversion app, many different translations for free at your fingertips. A lot of them you can download to your phone. So even if you're in airplane mode or offline or, or you've got weak signal, you can still read the Bible. Uh, a lot of them have audio Bible. So the Uversion app, many of the translations come with a free audio Bible. And so you can put it on, listen while you are commuting or in the shower, doing laundry, those kinds of things. So the very first thing is read it. And again, I want to stress, read it like a book. It's good to stop and camp out on a verse and contemplate it and meditate it on it and, and memorize it. And scripture even ask, commands us to do these things, right? But, but you should read it like a book. You should read Genesis like a story because Genesis, after all, is one complete story from start to finish. Now, you saw that it took us 15 nights to go over uh, all the details of it. And, and I didn't even read it, you know, so it takes a while to read. I understand that, but you can read the whole thing in four or five hours. I mean, that's not much different than um, a modern novel, maybe a large novel, something like that. I mean, my, my, my very small novel, this is uh, 200 pages. And I think you can probably read it in two hours, maybe two and a half hours. So most, most novels, four or 500 pages. I mean, you're reading them for four or five hours anyway, not all in one sitting, of course, but you're reading it, you know, in a couple of nights in succession, while what happened in the last thing you read is still fresh on your mind. That's how you should read the Bible. And that's one reason I'm glad to do this every night going through Genesis. And now we're about to go through, you know, Exodus through Deuteronomy in the next series is you just get a sense of the story of the Bible as we just kind of sweep through. Uh, it, again, it's good to examine these smaller parts, but back up, take in large chunks and, and really, really devour your Bible. And you really should think of it like food. It is nourishing you. And sometimes, you know, you just want a little snack to kind of perk you up. Nothing wrong with that. You should do that. Uh, sometimes you, you, you want to eat lean because you're trying to be healthy, right? So maybe you just want to 
uh, focus on a specific text because there's a spiritual discipline you're working on or there's a certain idea that you're thinking about or you're doing a study of some kind. And you should do that. When you're training for something, that's a good thing to do. Or when you're trying to work on a discipline, that's an excellent way to do it. But most of the time when we sit down to eat, we eat a full meal, right? And uh, consider doing that with your Bible, stepping back and eating a full meal. I think I mentioned several lessons ago that uh, mom got me to read and read the Bible in 90 days for Christmas one year. And I was so distraught about having to do it. But she and I both did it. We both finished it within or close to within the 90 day period. And it's just one of the best experiences with scripture I've ever had. So uh, that's the first thing. Read it. Read the Bible. If you want to know how to read and study the Bible, the best thing you can do is just read it. Read it like a book. Okay. I know it sounds super simple, but so few of us do it. So you should do it. That's the first thing. Read it. Second, very simple point that will help you in reading and studying the Bible and understanding it. Read it with someone. I know this sounds really oversimplified, but when was the last time you sat with another person and you read the Bible out loud to each other and talked about it? When was the last time that that happened? It doesn't happen nearly enough. In churches, we're real good at the Sunday morning program, right? And then we're we're pretty good at, at Sunday school. We, we do okay at that, you know. And then we might even have a nice life group program that at least has some activities or something, even if there's not a lot of teaching going on. It's at least people getting together, living life together. But one thing that churches have been bad at, at least the churches that I've been a part of have been bad at in the last couple of decades, is a couple of people sitting around reading the Bible to each other and talking about it with each other. We do this uh, at North Boulevard and uh, they're talking a lot about it at, at Central here in Cleveland. Lots of churches are now really understanding the importance of discipleship of you know three or four people uh, involved in a discipleship relationship. What does that mean? Well, a disciple, that word is 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 not specific to the Christian faith. It's not even specific to any kind of faith or any kind of religion. The word disciple simply means that you are learning how to do something. Okay, so a student learns something, but a disciple learns how to do something. You see the difference? You're not just learning something. You're learning how to do something, right? So I know a lot of people in the churches that I've grown up with that were good students of the Bible, but weren't necessarily good disciples. They knew a lot of things, but they didn't know how to do a lot of things. Or if they did, they weren't doing it, right? So one way to combat that is to read it with somebody. This is also important because most people don't think like you do. Most people don't think like I do. So almost anyone that I'm going to read the Bible with is going to have different ideas about what we just read than I will. They're going to open my eyes to things that I missed, and I'm going to give them a perspective that they couldn't see. And so reading the Bible with someone else really is very important. And you can see the greatest commands happening right away, because as each of us individually are strengthening our relationship with God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, we are also strengthening our bond, our trust, our relationship, our love for each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so when you read it with someone, you begin to really fulfill the greatest commands just in the act that you're doing. So I'm going to give you a couple of uh, really just one resource that is going to help you in reading the Bible with someone else. And it's called Discovery Bible Study. Now, this is something that I learned about in my time at North Boulevard. It's something that I've been actually learned about it um, uh, from the Christian Student Center at um, uh, MTSU before we really started doing it at North Boulevard. And uh, I've been using it for years. And when it comes to small group study, 
I don't ever go get a book. I don't ever go get a curriculum anymore. We just do DBS and we use the Bible and that's it. Nothing wrong with going through a C.S. Lewis book or, you know, uh, Radical or Francis Chan or whatever. The, the, the great writers out there with lots of great thoughts. At the end of the day, I can argue with every single one of those guys. I'd be pretty arrogant of me to argue with C.S. Lewis, but I could do it, I, you know, because he's not Jesus. I can argue with him. I can't argue with the Bible, right? So that's why when I when it comes to my discipling groups, we do discovery Bible study and we use the Bible and that's, that's it. We don't look at any of these other books. Um, so what is discovery Bible study? Let me give you the, just the basics that if you forget everything else, or if the power goes off, you've at least got this. And then I'll give you a little more detail about it. Here's the real basics. What's it say about God? What's it say about people? And how am I going to put it into practice? If you can remember those three things, you, you've remembered the real essentials. There's, there's some more to it, but those are the real essentials. What's it say about God? What's it say about people? And how am I going to put it into practice? So the idea here is that you would read a passage, say the story of the prodigal son, and you'd read it in a couple different versions. You'd retell it in your own words, kind of make sure everybody understands the story that we didn't just read it, but we understand it. And then you just ask those questions in this, this story, this piece of scripture, what does it say about God? Not what do we think about God? Not what have we heard about God, but literally in this thing that we just read, what does it say about God? Now, the beauty of this is, as I said, maybe some of you are listening because you're skeptical. You're not a believer. Here's the beauty of discovery Bible study. You don't have to be a believer to engage in discovery Bible study because discovery Bible study does not ask, what do you believe about God? Because I think all of us would kind of have some different thoughts about these kinds of things. The question is, what does it say about God? And that is a lot less subjective. Okay. Now, different people will see different things in the text for sure, but you can look at the text and you can read some things right off the page and understand, well, the text says this about God. I may not agree with that. I may not think that that's real. I may not think that that's true, but there's no denying that's what the text says, right? So that's discovery Bible study. What does it say about God? The next question is, what does it say about people? This is the same kind of thing. Not what do we think about people? What do we think about human nature? How do people usually act? None of that is the question. The question is, what does this particular text that we just read, what does it say about people? What does it say about human nature? And the point of both of these questions, what's it say about God? What's it say about people? The point of both of these questions is to walk away with a timeless characteristic of each. That is something that you can now use later in your life. So we read the story of the prodigal son. When we ask what does this say about God, we might say something about how uh, God is always uh, expecting, waiting, hoping that we will come back to him. That's a principle I can take out of the story and apply to any situation in my life. It's an eternal characteristic of God. If you look at the story of the prodigal son and we say, what does this say about people? And we say, well, people often resort to uh, dire thinking in difficult circumstances. Okay, there's an eternal characteristic about human nature that I can now take with me in my toolbox and apply that to any of the situations that I come across or any of the other scriptures that I read even, right? So that's why we ask those two questions. So we sort of walk away with something that is applicable for all time. Then we ask that question, well, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to put this into practice? If uh, you, you are... Um, 
studying with someone who's not a believer, or maybe you're some somebody listening now who's not a believer, here's a variant on that question you can ask, which is, okay, if you believed that thing about God and you believe that thing about human nature, what might you have to change in your life if you believe those things were true? Well, I guess I would I would change this. I would change this thing. Okay, so the, the point of the how am I going to put this into practice is to actually put it into practice, right? It's in the, We call this obedience, obeying the text. So even with somebody who's not a believer, you can say, well, why don't you try that for a week? And then when we come back next week to study, you tell me about that. Tell me how that went. Um, so that gets us to the third very simple way to read the Bible and study the Bible. The first is read it. The second is read it with someone. And the third is very simply, obey it. Obey what you read. When you walk away from a text, don't forget what you just read, but instead, obey it. Whenever I think about this principle, I think about uh, a note that I had in my Bible for a long time that was um, when Ted Gobble, who's, who may be listening now, was guest preaching at Central. Uh, our preacher, I guess, was um, traveling or something like that or sick, and he was preaching and he was preaching from the book of James, where there's a section that, that talks about, you know, a man looks in a mirror and, and walks away and forgets what he looks like. That's like somebody who reads the word but doesn't do it. And I had this note, this little quote from, from Brother Ted in there that said, looking at scripture is like looking into a mirror. And what do we do with what we see? And that 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 thought has has stayed with me my entire life. I'm so thankful for it, and it has um, helped me realize the importance of of obeying the scripture that I read. So I said I'd give you some some more free tools. So let me give you some more free tools. Um, if you in a browser window or on some other device or something like that, if you go to northboulevard.com slash dbs that's for discovery bible study northboulevard.com slash dbs if you can't go there without losing the video right now then write that down and go there later and i'll tell you what you're going to find there you're going to find on one side you're going to see all eight questions of discovery bible study so i gave you the three kind of kernel questions but here's how a whole discovery bible study will go there's eight questions it's super simple it's the same eight questions for the rest of your life and you're good. Okay. Here's the questions. What are you thankful for? That's how the group starts out, right? So I've been asking you guys this uh, every time that we've come together. What are you thankful for? Tell me something you're thankful for. Put it in the comments. You can do that now if you want. Okay. So that's the first question. What are you thankful for? The second question is what challenges do you have going on either in your personal life or your, your friends and family, your community, your world it can really be anything. I remember in one night we were all getting together and Somebody had a very personal situation that was going on. Somebody wanted to pray for a member of their family that was ill. And uh, another woman in our group, she wanted us to just uh, pray about uh, abortion and everything that was going on in the world involving that. Something that, uh, to my knowledge, was not something that was affecting her directly, but was just something that she was concerned about in the world. So the challenges can range from very personal to, to very broad. So what are you thankful for? What challenges you have going on? Did you do what you said you were going to do from last week? And how did that go? This is the accountability question. This is about uh, when we practice that obedience in the things that we've read, we come back the next week and we sort of give a little report on it. Now, the point here is not to become Pharisees. The point here is not to have a checklist 
Christianity. The point here is um, not to browbeat people. Okay. The point here is just to provide a little accountability and to provide a little inspiration because usually when we obey these things, we have a lot of good experiences, a lot of challenging experiences that come from them and other people are helped when we share those things. So that accountability is really key to a discipling group. Then we get into the text reading. So we read it in a couple of different versions. We tell it back in our own words, make sure we got all the details right. And then we start asking those text questions. Question four is, what does it say about God? Question five is, uh, what does it say about human nature? What does it say about people? Question six is, uh, how am I going to put this into practice? What would I have to change if I believe these things? What is the Holy Spirit asking me to do? How am I going to put this passage into practice? Question seven is similar to that. It is, who do I know that needs to hear this? Well, obviously everyone needs to hear it, right? But the question, the, the intent of the question is, who can I encourage with this passage? Who can I reach out to and share this passage with? And they'll find it encouraging or helpful, or in some cases, challenging. Who do I know that needs to hear this passage, a specific person? And the eighth and final question is a service question. What can we do to help each other? So uh, for instance, one night, that second question about challenges, I was really overrun with work doing media stuff at the church. One guy who'd been sitting in my small group for a couple of years by this point, he was about to graduate, but he wasn't going to get to graduate if he didn't get an internship in the next week or two and get it done by the end of the semester. And a lot of the internships were unpaid and they were in Nashville and he couldn't afford to drive back and forth. And a lot of them were taken and he was really worried that he wasn't going to get to graduate. Well, by the time we got to that eighth question, how can we help each other? It's like, it's like, well, duh, you should be my intern. And here was somebody again that I'd known for, for two years. But until we asked that question of each other, I didn't know he had a need. He didn't know I had a need. Once we both realized we had a need, we realized we could help each other. He became a paid intern and he helped us with a lot of the rebranding and the new website and a lot of the print materials that we did for North Boulevard, including this website that you're looking at now with Discovery Bible Study and a lot of the artwork and things that are there. So I'm very thankful for that. So those are the eight questions. What are you thankful for? Uh, what challenges you got going on? Did you do what you said you were going to do last week? And then you read the text. What's it say about God? What's it say about people? What am I going to do about it? Who am I going to tell about it? And how can we help each other? So those eight questions every week. So when you look at northboulevard.com slash DBS, that's for Discovery Bible Study, you'll see all eight questions there. You'll see a video going back through some of the things that I just shared with you, goes through them in a little more detail, seven minute video about Discovery Bible Study. Down at the bottom, you'll see bookmarks. These are selections of scripture and a lot of them are themed. Some of them are from my brother's uh, teen retreats, and so they're themed based on whatever the theme of that retreat was. Some of them are from David Young's sermon series, so they're themed on Book of Exodus or uh, Book of James, whatever he was preaching about at the time. Some of them are themed because they're important studies, so they're about discipleship or they're about uh, salvation or they're about they're from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, some of them have some video lessons with them, like the Sermon Series or the Sermon on the Mount series. Some of them are just the bookmarks themselves, but they're free for you to uh, download and put on your phone and use, or you can print them out if you want and use as an actual bookmark. But those are there for you to kind of poke around on and take a look at. And the last thing that I want to point out, which we're not going to discuss much tonight, but we will come back and look at it uh, sometime later. And that is underneath the video describing Discovery Bible Study. There's a paragraph of text. In that text, there's a link to the PDF of the Discipling Handbook. 
And you should see that there. And you should go ahead and download that discipling handbook. That discipling handbook is a document that I helped put together when I was at North Boulevard with the help of many other people. I was mostly focused on the design work, although I contributed a little bit to the content. A lot of the content was pulled together by Thad McKellar and Tony Holt and um, David Young and some of the other resources um, that we had. We'd done a lot of studying about discipleship from a lot of different places, a lot of different workshops, a lot of different um you know, like the uh, exponential gathering, different things, a lot of different books. This is sort of our Cliff's Notes uh, or Spark Notes for some of you who are younger. Uh, this is our, our our notes version of all the things that we learned, all put into one place in the Discipling Handbook. That's why it's a Discipling Handbook. It's not the, you know, encyclopedia or anything like that. It's just a handbook. It's just sort of a source book, reference material. And we'll go through some of those things later. But if you get the PDF and you go to the back, in the back, Towards uh, the last couple of pages, you'll find instructions for Discovery Bible Study, and it'll go over a lot of the things that I just read to you. So, uh, so those are some free things that you can get. You can use an actual Bible around your house. You can use BibleGateway.com. You can use Bible.com. You can use the YouVersion app, uh, and you can go to NorthBoulevard.com/dbs and learn how to do Discovery Bible Study. So, the three big things that you can do to Learn to better study the Bible and understand what it means. Read it, read it with someone, and obey it. Um, I'm going to leave you with one last resource that's not free, but it is inexpensive, and many of you will be able to pick it up if you don't own it already. And that is called uh, a book that's called, uh, and I should have it right in front of me and I apologize. I don't, but I think it's, I think it's just called how to study the Bible or how to read the Bible for all it's worth. And it's by Gordon Fee. And I think there's a couple of other authors on it as well. But if you search, uh, you know, read the Bible for all it's worth, Gordon Fee, it'll be the first thing that comes up. And there's some, a couple of uh, companion books to it as well. You can get a paperback through uh, Amazon or any bookstore. I'd say any bookstore that, that carries any kind of Christian book will probably have this one. Even if they only have one shelf of Christian books, this will probably be one of them. It's a very popular book. You can also get it as an ebook, so you can download it tonight and start reading it right away. It's really great at really breaking down, if you want to get into more in-depth study of the Bible, how to do that. But I really want you to just remember the three big, simple things. Read it, read it with someone, and obey it. If you can do those three things You'll be doing more than a lot of Christians, unfortunately, and you'll be well on your way to understanding who God is and knowing him more, loving him more, and being loved by him. Sketches from Scripture is a production of Parabolos, the production company of author and filmmaker Paul Andrew Skidmore. Subscribe to this podcast and more at skidmore.substack.com.